If you want to be a great leader, you must master your area of leadership. Welcome into Like a Man. I'm your host, Miles Nielsen. On today's show, I brought on Scott Baird, and he discusses not leadership attributes, but leadership behaviors, something that we can all apply. It's not something that you're born with. It's not that kind of a leadership talk. He has a methodology that you can apply that will work, and it's worked for me. I'm not saying that I'm a great leader, but I am a father, and I've used a lot of these since I've taken his course for my MBA program. Now, before I go on any further, let's just give it a listen. Scott, why don't you give us a quick introduction? Tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do with your company. Uh, Yeah. Hey, first of all, Miles, it's a pleasure to be with you. I'm thrilled to be able to be part of your podcast and to speak to your audience. I'm the founder of Griffin Hill. Griffin Hill is a human an organizational performance company. A lot of people looking at us might think that we're a training company. We do a lot of sales training, a lot of sales development, marketing training, marketing development, leadership training, leadership development. But the common thread there is human performance. It's all about elevating the results in our lives. And that's what Griffin Hill is all about. I've been privileged to do that for 30 years. I love what I do and the people with whom I work. So, Scott, part of my MBA program, I took the Griffin Hill Sales Leadership course, and it was amazing. I was very impressed with everything that was in it. You guys took a very scientific approach to the program, and I would use it with my work because I was in sales at the time, and I would get those results that I wanted. So I was very impressed with everything. One question that I wanted to kick this off with is, what would you say a leader is? How would you define a leader? You know, I love the question because it is the essence of what I was just describing. Leaders support, lift, and build others to achieve desired outcomes and ends. So when we elevate the quality of leadership, then we elevate the quality of performance, the quality of outcome. So if you look at things like what what Gallup research is telling us, they're telling us that in the United States, fully 64% of the employment population, 64% is not engaged. Not engaged, meaning they're not being productive. They're not working towards a desirable, productive end for their employer. The fault of that lies with leadership, not the employee. It lies with the quality of leadership. And when we get leadership right, employees become engaged. Employees become motivated. Employees accomplish and achieve at radically higher rates. And that's the purpose of leadership to choose directed ends and then stimulate, motivate, support, help, 
to accomplish and achieve towards those ends. Maybe much more, much longer of a definition than you were hoping for. No, it was perfect. And having worked for corporate America, I'm not surprised by those numbers. You see it a lot. Leadership in corporate America seems to be hit and miss. You have some that are very good at it. You have some that were very good at a task, so they promote them, and then they get to their new role and they just flop, and they're no good. And then you have some that don't know what they're doing. They've never studied anything about leadership, but they were promoted just because that's been my experience, at least, with what I've seen. And then you have some that are stellar, awesome leaders that you just love. You know, Miles, it's so insightful and probably uh, more pronounced in sales than other areas. You'd think that your top salesperson would become a skilled sales leader, that they would be able to teach and train and develop other people to do what they've done. And it's just not true. Uh, you know, we, we think of salespeople and leaders in much the same way. And, 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 and it's all wrong. We hire salespeople based on, are they charismatic? Do they have the gift of gab? Can they stimulate the conversation? That's the wrong way to hire salespeople. And it's the same way we hire leaders. We think that if they're charismatic and if they have the gift of gab, that uh, they'll make for a good leader. And nothing could be further from the truth in either case. So I'm glad that you have seen that in your own personal career enough to be able to recognize that truth and the problem that it creates in the marketplace. You know, another trend that I'm seeing now is what I call veneer leadership or beauty pageant leadership, where they look good on the front, but there's really nothing behind just like with a veneer brick that you put on front of a home. It's just there for decoration. And that's the same trend I'm seeing in not just business, but politics and everywhere. We just don't seem to have those good, real leaders that can stimulate people like you were talking about. You mentioned the fact that you studied a little bit about Griffin Hill methodology in your MBA course. In an MBA course, in an undergraduate course, you would have been in two different classes with the content you took in your MBA school. That's the difference between undergraduate work and graduate, where it just moves so much faster at the graduate level. Uh, at the undergraduate level, the sales class would have been a three-hour class. Sales leadership class would have been an upper division course, but it would have been, again, a three-hour class. Uh, for your MBA, you had to get both of those ramped into one class to be able to justify your graduate work. But the point of that is for the research we did in sales, I really appreciate that you point out we used a very scientific method to develop a methodology for sales and sales productivity. It's all about how people think, the science of human cognition how they think, how they drink in information, how they decide, and how they act as a buyer. And all of that is a matter of good science. Well, sales leadership, when I first wrote that textbook, and, and kudos to my co-author, Dr. Bone, who I think was probably your instructor at USU, he takes on all the academic side. He has to write 
all the uh, uh, all the test items and quizzes. That's his job. My job is to write the content. And in writing that textbook, a lot of people want to talk about leadership attributes or leadership traits. And Miles, it's just a waste of energy. Uh, so we talk in that textbook about nine leader behaviors. It's not about having an attribute or a trait. It's about what you do. Leadership is what, what you do. And so those nine leader behaviors are just fundamental to stimulating good growth and development in the teams that leaders would lead and helping them to get to good performance. So you, you took two different but very important classes all rolled up into one. You might not have even noticed the difference. It was Professor Bone who taught that class, and it was one of my favorites. And one of the things that I love is that you describe it as a behavior rather than an attribute, because it seems like attributes are part of people's personalities, and they're harder to develop because you're kind of going against who you are. But something else that I loved about your guys' approach with these nine behaviors is that they're kind of scientifically applicable where you can take it kind of like a mathematical formula, put these numbers in, and then you'll get the result every time. And that was my experience when I would take it to work the next day and put it into place, and I would see the results that I wanted. Yeah, Miles, and there's the, there's the key. It doesn't matter if you look like a leader. And I love your veneer leadership because you're so spot on. That's how we choose leaders in corporate America. Unfortunately, that's how we choose leaders to run our nation. And it's just fundamentally a mistake uh, because when we get leaders that have real no capacity to lead, we're in trouble. Uh, and, and that's exactly where we find ourselves. And I, I won't make this partisan. It's on both sides of the aisle we elect veneer leaders. Uh, they, they appear to have leadership capacity, but they fundamentally are dysfunctional around these nine leader behaviors. Could you walk us through each one of those behaviors? May I dive into a little bit here? I told you uh, before we went uh, on air, before we started to record, that everything I learned about leadership, uh, everything I know about leadership, I learned uh, as a 20-year-old young man living in Japan in the same apartment with your dad, James Earl the Pearl Nilsson, one of my favorite human beings. And, and I'll give you just the first leadership behavior, but it will also be connected to the first leader attitude. Um, we don't talk about that in the textbook, but, but let me tell you, teach you, tell you a story of, of walking the streets of Japan with your father decades ago. Uh, as we were walking along, I, we frequently would speak only in Japanese together. Uh, and I don't know if this is one of those times, because if we did not, we liberally intermingle English and Japanese. Uh, we were probably speaking only in Japanese, and we were talking about a group of, of people and what we were going to do. 
And I said, we're going to attire them something. We're going to give them something. And your father, and we're walking down the street, and he just stopped and looked at me and openly mocked me. And he said, are you kidding me? Did you just use that word in that context? And I said, what's wrong with that word in that context? And he said, a tairu is all about condescending to give something. You want to sashiageru. You want to offer it up humbly in that context. And you're being way condescending using that word. Now, your father won't remember having taught me that, Miles, but therein is the first leader behavior. Leaders develop subject matter expertise. If you want to be a great leader, you must master your area of leadership. And when I say your area of leadership, I don't mean leadership skill or leadership. I mean your area of, of the world, your contribution to the world. At that time, one of the things that I needed to master better was my skill as a Japanese speaker. And I was constantly working to improve my Japanese skill. I learned that from your father. He taught me that even though we were near the end of our time in Japan, that we still needed to be working to master our skill with the Japanese language. That's what leaders do. Number one attribute is leaders learn. So I said leaders develop subject matter expertise. The point of that is leaders persistently learn. You don't just reach a level and say, I'm done, I've got it, it's enough. Leaders persistently learn. That first leader behavior your dad taught me walking the streets of Japan. Here's the amazing thing. He also simultaneously taught me the first leader attribute. The world says this. We'll look at political figures because I invoked them, but it's no different from a corporate leader. I will serve you by leading you. That's what the world says. I will serve you by leading you. I'll tell you what to do. I'll tell you what to think. I'll tell you what to say. I will serve you by leading you in that way. The right leader attitude is I will lead you by serving you. When you get that lead, that first leader attitude right, everything else falls into context. You don't lead by simply telling people what to do, what to think, and what to say. That's not leadership. Leadership is I lift, I support, I solve problems. I remove barriers. I do things that help you to be successful so that you can achieve. And so in one moment, walking the streets in Japan as a 20-year-old, your father taught me the first leader behavior 
and the foundational leader attitude. I will lead you by serving you. Okay, I'll pause there and let you jump in with your wisdom. I've been on a bit of a tear. Sorry about that. No, I would love to. I think the biggest example that he set for me and the biggest thing that I've learned from him is the power of humility, especially in leadership. And it's actually like a quote that my wife had a few months ago that I wrote down where she was saying leadership isn't about changing other people. It's about changing yourself. It's not about controlling them. It's about controlling yourself and your emotions, especially as your parent. And that's the same thing that I've learned from him is that humility is key. You have different cultures. I've worked international business. I've seen these different leadership styles. And those leadership styles are the atayiru, where the leadership style that my dad taught me was the sashi ageru, and trusting in people and delegating to them and those various differences in leadership that I picked up. I know it sounds old-fashioned only because it is, but your father taught me duty. He taught me responsibility. He taught me to work hard. He taught me to focus. He taught me to respect people. And he taught me humility. Now, I say that those sound old-fashioned, and they are, but my goodness, when those were our old-fashioned values, we had high productivity. We had highly performing teams. We created the industrial mechanism and machine to change the world. And as we lose sight of those concepts, those ideas, then we lose sight, we lose hope of leading the world anywhere. Look, here's some other uh, ancient ideas. We the people, the preamble to the Constitution, absolutely profound, uh, in order to establish a more perfect union for the common defense. We the people. How did we the people become I the person? Today, it's not about the the commonality or the common good, the unity of the people, it's about my rights. Uh, It's about my rights against my employer's rights or against my neighbor's rights or against my government's rights. When we sacrifice we the people in favor of I the person, we lose all hope of great team performance. So old-fashioned values, yeah, as old as our founding fathers. So your podcast is intended to speak to men. So men, let me point you to founding fathers and to the fathers of industry that made our nation great. Um, And when we can recapture some of those concepts and principles, we will be much better prepared to lead high-performing teams. This may sound silly, but one time I was watching a cartoon with my boy, and it was Captain America. Somebody was mocking him for something that he was doing, saying it was old-fashioned. 
And his response was, well, some things never change. And it really hit me deep because what he said was accurate. The leadership principles that you use today, you could have used them 10 years ago. You could have used them 1,000 years ago. You could have used them 10,000 years ago and still gotten the same results. Leadership principles are those things that are never changing. And a perfect example was there was a leader back in Jerusalem and Israel just a little over 2,000 years ago. And we're still talking about his leadership today and what he accomplished and what he has motivated billions of people to do today. And that was over 2,000 years ago. And so that's my thoughts on that. There's, there's just those principles that are never going to change. Yeah, well, nicely articulated. And, and he was the epitome of, I will lead you by serving you. And if we could learn more of that from him, we would all be better off. Yeah, well, well said, Miles. Yep, the perfect example. All right, what's next on the list? Well, okay, so if our first leader behavior is leaders develop subject matter, uh, let, me, let me say it this way, leaders develop and sustain subject matter expertise. There's leader behavior number one. And succinctly put, leaders learn. That's how they develop subject matter expertise, and that's how they sustain it. So there's, there's number one. Number two, leaders recruit performers, people that will respond to them, to their team. They assemble teams that they can lead effectively. So that's leader behavior number two, recruit highly performing individuals to your team. Let me go to three and four, and then I'll let you pause and comment and say whatever you'd like about them. Number three, leaders inspire and motivate. And I would go further and say leaders inspire with vision and motivate with method. It's easy for leaders to inspire somebody and say, well, look, look, here's John F. Kennedy. And I know, I know that some of you don't even know who the heck he is. And yet, when I was just uh, 10, 11, 12, I watched on my little black and white TV this man, this president of the United States, give a stirring speech, part of which was, in the coming decade, we are going to send a man to the moon and return him safely. That's vision. That was inspirational despite the fact that he was assassinated within two years. He never got to year 10. Within two years, he was assassinated, but that vision was so compelling that it lived on. And he had a method. He had, let me show you how we're going to do this. These are the resources that it's going to require. This is what we're going to invest in. This is how we will get there. Leaders inspire with vision and they motivate with method. If they inspire with vision, if they say we're going to go to put a man on the moon and return him safely in 10 years and there's no method behind it, doesn't matter how stirring that vision is, there's no leadership. Methodology is important. Leaders inspire and motivate. That's just one trait, by the way. That's trait number three but they inspire with vision and they motivate with method. 
and both are essential. As a result of laying that out for our nation, you couldn't stop it. Uh, and within the decade, we sent a man to the moon and returned him safely. Now, that sounds grand. Uh, and there are deniers, particularly in the younger generation, that first of all, that happened. Second of all, that it was meaningful. Let me just point out that the audio you are listening to would not be possible but for the technology developed in the process of solving the problem of how do we get a man to the moon and return them safely. The amount of technology that was fueled by that vision and method, mission, fundamentally governs our lives today. That's leadership. Number four, leaders teach. If we've got vision, then we've got to teach about that vision. If we've got method, then we've got to teach about that method. Leaders teach. And in that way, they develop and they grow. They persistently teach. They are they they never stop teaching. They do it formally. They do it informally. They look for every opportunity. They create opportunities. Leaders teach. It's a fundamental role. Okay, so Miles, I'm going to stop there. I'll just summarize the four that we've just talked about. Leaders become subject matter experts because leaders learn. Leaders recruit high performers to their team. Leaders inspire and motivate, and leaders teach. So they're the first four. It falls in line with everything I've learned. And like we were talking about before, the scientific approach that you guys use. And what I really liked is the method and vision piece that you were explaining, because they are two sides of the same coin. You have a lot of people who come in and say, this is what the business should look like, or this is what the university should look like, or this is what the nation should look like. And they explain their vision, but they don't have a method. And I think a lot of books are lacking in the method part. They like to tell leaders that they need a vision, but not a method of how to get there and how we're going to do it. And that's what I really liked about the Apollo missions that were initiated by JFK, because he put out that vision and that method and my the part that i love most about the about the moon landing and everything was all the engineers that it inspired all those young kids that it inspired to become engineers who maybe they didn't become rocket scientists but they became scientists engineers who made our life better in many ways whether it was in computers or in finance or whatever and as you point out as a result a highly productive nation in every aspect. It fueled uh, a great season, multiple decades season of per high performance and growth. A great observation. Nicely said. Okay, you want me to hit you with the next uh, trio of things? Yes, please. Let's hear it. Okay, so we've got four. Let me give you five, six, and seven. Leaders set the agenda. So if you study leadership styles, there, there are, as you point out, there are lots of great discussion about leadership styles, uh, one of which would be a laissez-faire leadership style. Look, I'm, I'm just going to let people figure it out. I'm not going to give them a lot of direction. 
and and I'm not going to give them a lot of uh, criticism or guidance or training. I'm just I'm just kind of a laissez-faire leader. It's it's supposedly a legitimate style of leadership. And I would say, great. Well, that's that's you you learned that from Alice in Wonderland, not from the Cheshire Cat. Alice said, well, where do I go? Cheshire Cat says, well, where do you want to end up? Well, I don't I don't know that it matters much. Well, then it doesn't matter which way you go. That's laissez-faire leadership. But if you want to accomplish something, if you want to stir someone's soul, if you want to set vision, you got to set the agenda. So there's number five. And once you set the agenda, you've got to assign responsibilities. What is their role? Meaning your employee. What is their role? What is their responsibility to contribute? So there's number six. And number seven, you've got to hold them accountable. Again, three behaviors of leadership that are largely eschewed, but that when we apply them with our with our clients, it absolutely changes the trajectory of their organization. Each individual becomes more enthused, more engaged, happier in their job. They know exactly what's expected of them and they know how to deliver it. They come away with a sense of accomplishment. And the overall organizational growth changes the trajectory. Uh, so those three are, uh, are a nice little package that goes together. Leaders set the agenda. Leaders assign responsibilities. Leaders hold people accountable. I don't think I'm the only one that's had a boss that's hands off and just says, hey, go figure it out. But could you imagine a football coach doing that or even a college coach? It's like, hey, yeah, you guys played in high school. You're good to go. Go out in the field and figure it out. Could you imagine if a football coach had that same approach to their team? Miles, I love your example because we often talk about what we do at Griffin Hill as coaching technology because that's exactly what it is. A coach is going to assign each player to a role. And then they're going to be, because they're assigned to a role, they can assign a specific set of responsibilities to them. And then they can teach them the skills necessary to be successful in that role with those responsibilities. They can now model that same kind of Leaders develop subject matter expertise, so do employees. If you want to excel in your organization, then become master of a strategic, an important strategic contingency. And that mastery only comes when you've got a clear agenda, you've got a clear responsibility, role and responsibility, and a mechanism to learn it, and a coach who is saying to you, that's not exactly how I want that job done. Let me show you again. Let me teach you afresh. Let me help you to understand the what, the why, the how, and the what if. And when we do this, organizations 
just skyrocket. I, I love your analogy of, of looking at it in terms of coaching. By the way, so if you if we think about uh, 64%, and, and by the way, that's down. It used to be as high as 83% globally. U.S. was probably a little bit better than that. 83% of the global workforce not engaged. In the U.S., 64% of the U.S. workforce not engaged. Look, you're watching an NBA Finals. The only players on either of those teams that are not engaged are sitting with injury. Professional players are highly engaged day in, day out. There's, there's no coasting. There's no quiet quitting. And when there is, they're gone. And that's what coaching technology is all about. Uh, we, we've got to restore to the corporate workplace that same sense of coaching techni- technology where leaders set the agenda, assign roles and responsibilities, and hold people accountable. I like that term, coaching technology, just to be able to see it from that angle, thinking of it as a technology. So, yeah, I like that. I like analogies, too, because they help you take things from your everyday life and help explain complex concepts. Okay, I could dive into our final two if you want me to. Yes, I do. Let's learn. Okay, so we've got nine leader behaviors. Remember, we're not talking about attributes. We're not talking about traits. We're not talking about charisma. We're not talking about the gift of gab. We're talking about behaviors. And every human being, even when they may feel uh, a little shy about being an assertive leader, they can all develop these behaviors. Uh, We started with leaders develop subject matter expertise, leaders learn. Leaders recruit high-performance individuals to their team. Leaders inspire and motivate, and leaders teach. There's one, two, three, four. Then we hit leaders set the agenda. Leaders assign responsibilities, and leaders hold people accountable. So there's through number seven. Number eight, leaders allocate resources. Leaders provide the necessary tools, technology, materials, training to grease the skids, to make sure that things move and that things move smoothly and that things move fast. That takes resource. Leaders allocate resources to the right people and the right processes to help facilitate results. And when there's a barrier, So like, inspire, and motivate, which was number three, number eight has a two-part. Leaders allocate resources and resolve conflicts, remove barriers. They get things out of the way so that performers can get their job done. Leaders allocate resources, resolve conflicts, and remove barriers, number eight. Finally, leaders make sound decisions. And in order to make sound decisions, you've got to do the homework. You've got to have the data. So leaders make sound, data-driven decisions. 
So those are our last two. Number eight, allocate resources, resolve conflicts, remove barriers. Number nine, make sound, leaders make sound, data-driven decisions. You know, having worked in corporate America, I see every day the importance of data and especially good, accurate data. And what's very important, too, is where you were talking about how leaders give their people resources. And a perfect example of that right now that we can see is the Ukrainian war. Because a lot of the analysts that I would listen to said when this first started happening that Ukraine was going to fall within three months. Well, they were basing that off of bad data. The Ukrainians got the resources that they needed and the intel and data that they needed, and they are putting up a fight against Russia. It's crazy to me to see what is happening with good resources and good data. And while we're on this topic, I also had a friend who taught at the, I guess it's the War College in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. And he was telling me the reason the Ukrainians are doing so well is back to your first behavior in that they are learning and they send their generals to this war college and they teach them how to be good generals. And he was saying that's another reason why the Ukrainians are putting up a, such a good fight because their generals have been trained to do it. The quality of leadership makes all the difference. So, But, but remember, leaders allocate resources. Leaders resolve conflicts. Leaders remove barriers. Look, the quality of leadership matters. It matters in our home. So I'm, I'm speaking largely to men. Man up. Be a leader in your home. Lead your children. Teach them duty, responsibility, hard work, dedication, focus. Teach. Man up. Be a leader in your home. Think about these nine leader behaviors in that relationship. And fundamentally, you will restore sanity to our nation as you assert nine behaviors of leadership in the most fundamental organization of all, and that is the family. Okay, we're going to end this one with a question, and that is, is it ever too late to become a leader? And what is your advice to men to become better? Man, what a brilliant question, Miles. It is never too late to begin the path of great leadership. And greatness is your destiny all to all of your listeners. And that path of great leadership, whether you've been on it and have wandered or fallen to the societal norm that is lack of engagement and poor quality leadership, get back on the track and start by just pondering these nine leader behaviors. Again, at Griffin Hill, we're going to teach, but we're going to provide resources. We provide specific tools and technologies. We provide specific methodologies for our clients to be able to be successful, uh, to be successful leaders, and to be successful in their endeavors to outcompete others in their space. Uh, so tools, technology, methodology, all part of supporting great leadership.
So find out what is it, where is it you want to excel? Where is it you want to lead? And then get the, the, the knowledge, the methodology, the tools, and the technology to affect all nine leader behaviors. And if you do, you will feel the satisfaction that comes from regular growth, from accomplishment and achievement. It will restore you to a self, a place of dignity and self-worth, and it will be enabling to you. Well, Scott, if anybody is interested in learning more about your company and the things that you coach and teach, where can they go to find out more? Yeah, you can always go to griffinhill.com. Uh, lots to get there. There, there are ebooks aplenty on either sales or leadership. There's all kinds of free stuff we can get to you. If you are in a key leader role, uh, we regularly take that class that Miles took as an MBA student on, on either sales, uh, but also sales leadership. And we teach it to executives, mature executives and maturing those who are on the pathway to leadership in their organization. We have to do this in small numbers because we do it uh, online. We start another class tomorrow. Can't get into that one, but if you, but if, but if you are interested in getting a resource like an MBA class on leadership, get in line because it will change your life. I'm a believer. I'm a believer in it. It's worked for me. So, Scott, I want to say thank you for coming on to my show and discussing these leadership behaviors. This was very enriching. I've loved our discussion, and I hope it benefits a lot of men out there. It's been a delight for me. Please uh, give my best regards to James Earl the Pearl Nielsen and his dear sweet wife, Diane. Men, my favorite part of this discussion is when Scott said to man up and to lead. Lead your families, lead your businesses, lead whatever it is you are called to lead. And do it well using time-tested, old-fashioned principles that have proven themselves over and over again. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We are going to end this one with another manly mystery sound. 